Job ready? Employer says yes. This programme is presented by Eduvate, education and innovation. I'm Jonathan Brill. The way in which the future of work will be affected by artificial intelligence, that's robots and the like, it's going to affect most industries, manual and industrial. Here's an up-to-the-minute example from the world of banking. Now, that's J.P. Morgan Chase, which is a big U.S. bank. They've invested in a technology and recently introduced it. It's called Contract Intelligence Platform, aren't they all? And, and what it is, it's, it's a manual review of 12,000 annual commercial credit agreements. So if you want to sign up to take money out on a car, that's what a credit agreement is. And they have to be reviewed. And normally, they will be done by mid-level employees, the sort of job that you might be going for in a couple of years. And they worked out that 360,000 hours are spent reviewing these credit agreements. So they've invented something in the artificial intelligence arena, a piece of software, that sort of thing, and robots. And they've implemented this on a trial basis. And it shows that this machine learning technology shows that the same amount of agreements can be reviewed in seconds not 360,000 hours. Great technology, but that represents the jobs of around 200 people, if that's all they did. Roby Mitra is head of one of the most innovative recruitment companies in the US. I caught up with him to talk about artificial intelligence and job readiness at the Festival of Innovation in Spain, in the city of Malaga. Delighted today to interview my colleague, Robin Mitra, who has a business based in Detroit in the US, which is concerned with uh, resourcing the manpower needs, the person power needs of other companies. Hi, Robbie. Great to see you. Can you tell us a bit more about what your business does? Sure. Thank you, Jonathan. Great to be here. I purchased a company from my father about a year ago half ago that uh, was started in uh, uh, the basement, proverbial uh, entrepreneurial startup uh, of, a, of a small company my father and stepmother formed in the basement of their home to, to solve a, a problem that a, a former customer of his had, which was they were having a challenge finding uh, labor for their plant floor. This was a, a stamping plant. Um, automotive stamping of metals. Stamping of metals, Stamping yeah. of metals right. that, uh, that was in need of uh, general labor. And so they, they, uh, they, they, they were imploring my father to start this business and, and help us find labor. So he did, did this out of his basement and, and over the course of about four years it grew to a, a rather uh, substantial business. And uh, I took it over for him from him about a year ago with the vision of, um, I should mention as it grew, uh, we went from providing simply temporary labor on a plant floor to providing uh, manufacturing skilled trade labor 
which included folks like electricians and pipe fitters and welders, uh, more highly skilled uh, industrialized workers. Uh, my vision when I took it over was that uh, we would take the company from uh, a company providing labor solutions to uh, the, the yesterday's technology to a company providing labor solutions for tomorrow's technology and, and that we wanted to focus our efforts around the convergence of technology on the plant floor or what many call Industry 4.0 uh, and the labor needs associated with Industry 4.0. Okay, so let's try and unpack some of that. You're a professional and you know a lot about labor, you know a lot about recruitment. Probably that's not you. You don't have this background in recruitment and personnel. Am I right? No, that's correct. Uh, I, I have very little knowledge, actually. I, I don't proclaim to have much knowledge or domain expertise in the space of staffing. Uh, as, it, as it's termed in, in the U.S. generally, the staffing industry, uh, nor uh, do I have a particular expertise in human capital or HR. My expertise uh, actually comes from the investment banking and private equity world, where I spent most of my career uh, doing deals, frankly, uh, buying so and selling companies. This, so how is this relevant? How can you transfer the skills that you learned in one almost entirely different sector in, into this sector? Sure. I, you know, I, Candidly, at the beginning, I don't know that I, I had a good answer for that. I, I, I think that I was, <laughs> I was in many ways uh, a little confused myself about how those skills transferred. But um, over time, what I realized is I actually had a very unique set of experiences uh, from uh, my background. That was working with and for entrepreneurs, business owners, corporations in selling their businesses or in buying their businesses. And what we what I came to realize is I had seen business challenges and problems from multiple levels through an organization. I dealt with very successful entrepreneurs. I'd seen what worked and what didn't work. I'd also been able to um, really get a sense of uh, the challenges that they faced. And and without fail, as a, in, upon reflection, what you what you found that the all credited, all successful managers, entrepreneurs, CEOs of businesses that I ever worked with in my career never never took credit themselves. They never took credit for their own uh, successes. They always credited their team. And so that reoccurring theme of, of, of really business is driven by people, yeah. uh, not by process and technology. Right. And that, that, that was where I, I had my, you know, my, one of many aha moments of my first year of saying, ah, well, maybe my experience is applicable to, to where I'm going. So we have another example. Some of, a lot of these broadcasts uh, talk about transferable skills. We have another example of successfully transferring one individual a skill set from one area to another. Now, are businesses, organizations as nimble as that? You mentioned Industry 4.0 uh, and how that. Could you explain what Industry 4.0 is and the extent to which businesses are successfully transferring into this new world or not? Well, I don't think I'll do it the justice it deserves from a from a technical definition, but I'll sure. I'll tell you my own perhaps my own impression of what this means. Industry 4.0, the connectivity on the plant floor between machines and equipment, between sensors and devices, uh, and, and and that connectivity feeding back to a home office, to an, a set of engineers or IT professionals, 
who are using that data and that information to uh, either monitor, uh, provide predictive analytics and maintenance for equipment and, and on the plant floor, uh, or to help improve process, help improve uh, efficiencies, etc. So more than just an incremental change from where we are now, well, sure. something quite substantial. Sure, it's substantial, and I think the, 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 the simplest way, and, and for me I like to keep it rather simple, is that it's the it's the convergence of the physical and the digital world, and so as that happens, uh, what does that mean from a labor perspective? I mean, I think we in the U.S. Uh, have a very interesting political climate at the moment uh, with the with the current administration and and uh, and some of the rhetoric that gets bandied about uh, bringing jobs back to America. Well. Uh, in many cases, when you talk about industrial-related jobs, those jobs are not weren't lost to foreign countries or to low-cost labor. Mm. They were lost to innovations in robotics, plant automation, and technology. And those jobs aren't coming back. Uh, however, there are new jobs that are being created as a result of that technology. For instance, I always like to say when people talk about robotics and plant automation, uh, Right, well, that's great, but who's going to program, install, maintain, operate, and, uh, and, and, and so on, uh, and build the robots, right? Uh, we're not quite at a moment in time where robots are building other robots or robots are programming other robots, although the technology does exist uh, in, the, in, a, in a theoretical or in a lab, it doesn't exist in the commercial sense today. So um, I, I see that, that, that this, this, your initial question on are companies adapting, I think, yeah. The answer is it depends. Um, the size of the organization, in many cases, dictates how quickly, interestingly enough, they'll, they'll adapt to technology. There's there's a lot of different constraints and variables around this that include uh, how you deal with legacy systems, how you deal with the security of data, how you deal with um, finding the employees to perform the requisite job functions on the floor now that these things have been in play. If these companies are not as swift to adapt as say individuals like you can adapt to a new circumstance if they're adapting slowly by the time they've retrained people for that technology the technology itself has moved on that the, the, there's a vicious circle sure. going on in there how do young people prepare for this world so i have my own uh set of beliefs on this uh, or positions that i've taken uh, not that they're right or wrong just observationally what i feel is uh, a reasonable position to take on the subject and my position is that and I'll speak from the perspective of someone in the United States uh, and the United States education system the system that we have in place in the United States is you know, some 200 odd years old uh, a command and control structure whereby a professor or teacher stands at the front of the class and lectures to students generally speaking this is how kids are educated in the US and secondly uh, the goals of that educational system are centered around uh, standardized testing, uh, the achievements on those standardized tests to get with the end goal of getting a child to uh, a four-year degreed university. And the reality um, that we face today is that those students that are being produced by that system are not prepared for the commercial realities of today's job markets. Okay. Increasingly, we're finding that you know companies are saying, gee, I can't find the talent that I need. Well, 
partly that lies in the preparation, yeah. but partly that also lies in companies' own uh, inherent limiting beliefs around how they hire, which is to say, and this is a whole other subject, that they use job descriptions and resumes to fill positions. And I posit that job descriptions and resumes should really go the way of the buggy whip and, uh, and be uh, you know, eradicated from our lexicon because those are not proper indicators of uh, whether or not someone's going to be engaged in a job. So you're saying that the sort of advice that high school students are getting to learn how to write a CV, to learn how to position themselves in terms of their bio data or whatever, this is irrelevant now? I think it's be I, my position. I don't know that it's necessarily relevant. I think if you told someone it's irrelevant, you might be doing them a disservice. My right. position is it should be irrelevant. Okay. That there are other, uh, better, in my opinion, better ways to uh, test, to assess, to audition for talent, much the same way you would in the entertainment field for positions uh, to, to teach um, our youth today to think more clearly about being adaptable. Uh, being teachable and trainable, uh, having skills around um, perseverance, having skills around um, uh, being lifelong learners uh, and students so that they can be, uh, as the technology changes, uh, students who will take uh, their own initiative and uh, of their own accord learn that, uh, well, my gee, my job is being made irrelevant by new technology. What can I do to help better my, my, my odds of, of being employable in the next 10 years. So you're encouraging this kind of adaptability. You're encouraging uh, flexibility of attitude. How do you see, I know this is a big question, but how do you see the future work? How do you advise a young person, 18, 19 years old, to look at the forthcoming 20, 30, 40, 50 years? What do you think we should be saying to them? Well, I, I think Number one, we have to start with their parents, uh, and we have to begin to smash the ideas. Again, I'll speak from a from a U.S. perspective. Um, we have to begin to smash the ideas around uh, the, uh, the, the the conventional belief system that says, uh, in order for you to gain success, you must attend a four-year degree university. And if you haven't done that, then you have, in a sense, failed. Uh, you failed your parents. You failed your friends and society as a whole. I'm being a little facetious. Uh, so you have to start with the idea that let's present children with what the options are based upon their interests and how they learn. I think that what we've begun to learn is that children learn differently. Um, some are experiential learners. Some learn because they're tactile learners. Others learn auditory. Others learn visual learners. So I think we have to do a better job of uh, not only the system of how we teach our kids, but then showing them and educating them on the options and what the available careers look like for when they are coming to uh, job age, job readiness. Uh, so how do we how do we make them more job ready, right? How do we make them uh, more? So the advice for me that I give them is explore all your options, be curious, be a learner, uh, understand that that. It all takes time and, and effort. It takes hard work to achieve results. It takes determination and grit and perseverance to achieve results. That these things don't happen overnight. Uh, that there are no overnight success stories. Uh, overnight success stories are just the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. You know, the rest of the iceberg uh, has been made and formed under the 
on, under the ocean for for hundreds and or thousands of years. So so you need to understand as a as a as a young person coming up that uh, that these these um, these things don't come easily, and that that you need to be um, really uh, naturally curious. Uh, so that you're, you're not missing out, uh, or, or you're being pigeonholed down one on one road. Naturally curious, or being encouraged how to be curious, ability to learn, and learning how you learn. Yes. It's been gold dust. Thank you so much, Robbie Mitchell. Thank you. And finally, to all burger flippers, here's a big question. What tasks are most likely to be automated by robotics and artificial intelligence in the fast food industry? Here's some answers. Might surprise you. We looked at developments in Domino's and Cali Burger and Pasadena, McDonald's and Subway. Their research and development shows three main areas where artificial intelligence robots are going to be involved ordering, delivery, and flipping the damn burgers. Increasingly, you're going to be ordering your takeaway by app and having your order delivered less by a motorbike from Just Eat or Deliveroo, more by a fast little cheeky robot. And while the cheesy guy in the fast food TV ads may still have a role, they're not going to get rid of all people, your burger will have been cooked and assembled by a robot. And don't forget that in the back end of these apps, more and more data will be fed into analytical software to help companies predict orders. Their motivation, of course, may be to keep prices down. Fair enough. But remember, all of these innovations will reduce the role and number of human employees. Thanks to John Walker and Tech Emergence for their research. Thanks to our sponsors and thanks to you for allowing us into your ear hole. You'll find us online at eduvate.biz. Job ready. Employer says yes. Yes.